0: Folks and welcome to another episode of Encourage Build Grow. I'm your host Randy Wilburn and I am here today with another great guest. Yes, I know folks, every episode I say I have another great guest. Well, that's because I take the time to find these people. I go out and I cajole, I hoodwink, I bamboozle. No, I'm just kidding. I ask all the people that I think are much smarter than me, will you come down and come on a podcast with me so we can talk about what you're doing in the design industry? what you're doing to be different as a leader, what are you doing to communicate differently to your team and to your clients and stakeholders in the community? What are you doing to make yourself a better individual in this space? And today I have an individual that's actually been in several of my trainings, someone that I count as a colleague in the industry. His name is Bart Gilbraith. Bart is a senior project manager and, as I like to say, because I've been in the industry a long time, a double E. And for those of you that don't know what a double E is, it's not a a shoe width. That is (laughs) an electrical engineer. (laughs) And so, Bart, without further ado, Bart is actually from Garver Engineers. And Garver is based out of uh, Little Rock, Arkansas. They've got an office literally around the corner from my home in Fayetteville, Arkansas. And Bart happens to work in that particular office. And so, Bart, it's so great to have you on the podcast. How are you doing?
1: Doing fine, Randy. I appreciate you having me, and uh, happy to and flattered for the for the compliment, but happy to be here and uh, visit with you today.
0: Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So, what I mentioned before about trying to get people on the podcast, one of the things that I described to them, and I remember you asking me spe- specifically tongue twister: What you know what what are we going to be able to talk about? And I said, you know, there's a lot of stuff to talk about. And then I remembered a couple of things that. Bart has had some experience with. And I think originally you sat in on an ACEC course that I did for public speaking.
1: Is that correct? Yes, a couple of years back through the Emerging Leaders right, program Right. Have.
0: Which is actually a really good program. And I know that they do that in several states. So if you're a design professional, specifically an engineer, I would highly encourage you to look for that Emerging Leaders program because most of the states at the state level for ACEC do some really neat things. And, and that program is really good. That was a year-long program, is that yes, correct? Yes, it
1: was. Okay. Uh, I believe it started in the fall and concluded with a kind of a graduation ceremony in the spring at their annual meeting.
0: That's cool. Do you still keep in touch with all those folks that were in that class?
1: Uh, occasionally, we're Facebook friends, LinkedIn. And we'll congratulate each other with career milestones. And uh, try to keep up with uh, Angie Cooper, the executive director, as right. she has other things that go on throughout the year and, and help her out where I can and, and try to be involved.
0: Yeah, no, I, I, that is, that is great. And then you, you had me come and speak with, um,
1: another group,
0: I think at your yes.
1: office. I recently rolled out of the presidential role for the local IES section. And IES stands for Illuminating Engineering Society. I kind of call it the, the lighting nerds of, of the <laughs> industry. And uh, I was fortunate enough to be president for a handful of years. And after you and I got to interact through Emerging Leaders, I thought a non-technical topic for that professional group would be some of the leadership presentations that you have. And you were kind enough to come present for us and had a real good reception on, on what you gave for us that day. Yeah,
0: no, that, that was a lot of fun. And that was, that was a really good, I mean, there were some smart people in the room and it was really interesting to interact with them. And, and again, I I always say this, I mean, the design industry is a special place, as you know. Yes. I mean, it's, When you look at everybody, and and the nice thing about Garver is that you have the full gamut or complement of design professionals. Yes. Licensed professional engineers. You have a little bit of everything represented under the roof of Garver. So it's kind of interesting to see that and to see how how the industry is growing. Why don't you tell our audience just a little bit about your superhero origin story, how you got started? Why, Why did you get into engineering? Because I think that's one of the challenges that this industry faces is that We need more engineers. We need more architects. We need more people to to sink their teeth into the STEM fields in order to have a nice wide selection of people, the next generation of people that can come in and work at firms like Garver and others that need them to do the great things that you do on a daily basis. But tell our audience just a little bit about your background.
1: started off uh, deciding to major in electrical engineering just because I had an interest in electronics. I was the the geeky nerdy guy through school high school and really got interested in tearing apart old electronics that would break vcr would break my parents would let me take it apart and i'd play with the electric motors and try to figure out what the circuit boards were doing and the like so i knew pretty early on that i wanted to do something in that nature and kind of went back and forth between computer engineering and electrical engineering and and settled on attending arkansas tech for electrical engineering and when it came time to look for a career after getting an electrical engineering degree, I naturally went to the the Raytheons, the Texas Instruments, the what I'll call the electronics industries of the world. Didn't really have my sight on consulting engineering. And when it came time to start looking for jobs, I found that Garver had an opening. And my dad is actually a consulting professional geologist. So I kind of had a background on what a consulting field would look like, but not specifically in the engineering industry. The unique thing about the electrical degree, at least at Arkansas Tech and uh, schools of similar size, you're not taught about consulting field or the AE field. You're taught about how to do utilities or power design or circuit boards. So it's one thing that I've become passionate about is as I grow in my career and and have more opportunity to expose students to this industry is trying to educate them that there's a different field out there that you can use an electrical engineering degree in other than going to work to build the next motherboard for a computer. You can actually get out and have a career taking light fixtures, taking electric motors and lights and affect wastewater plants and buildings and airports and highways and and that field is something that is rewarding and productive for your professional career as well. So how I kind of ended up at Garver was more or less by chance. I needed a job, they had an opening and I thought it sounded interesting, started off there and almost 15 years later I'm still there. You're still there. Wow.
0: I love that story and I you bring up a lot mm-hmm. of really good points. I have Interacted with a number of people in the in the design industry that you know kind of shared with me a similar story to how they ended up here and they could have gone into manufacturing or some other space and I think consulting professionals in the design industry space are, are kind of a not not so much of a unique breed I think it's more of a it's something that's available but not everybody really talks about it I've been to several job fairs. And it's amazing to me, all of the manufacturers and in, in the Googles of the world and any other fill in the blank computer firm will have a ton of people, especially a double E's, you know, lining up to share their resume and all that. But then there's that, you know, there's the design firm in the corner that's looking for a couple of new design professionals and nobody's lining up to to take those opportunities.
1: It's not something that the curriculum teaches about. It's uh, something that you have to kind of find out on either through connections, which is very important for things like LinkedIn and podcasts like this, is to learn about those fields. And if you don't know about that, you stumble onto it kind of like I did. And that's one thing that I try to do, try to be involved with universities and educate students. I have recently rotated off a position at John Brown University's Engineering Advisory Board. I'm currently president of Arkansas Tech's Electrical Engineering Advisory Board. And that's one of the initiatives that I try to take with those advisory boards is to make sure that students know that consulting, whether you're an electrical engineer, a mechanical engineer, that you know those options are out there. Civil engineers, at least from my coworkers at Garver, I'm told that in the civil engineering program, especially at the U of A, they're educated about that. They are almost groomed to go into that industry. And with the electricals, it's it's just not that case. It's just not the case.
0: And I I would venture to say that it's probably the same for mechanicals. You know, unless mechanicals know that I'm definitely going to go into this arena and work at a consulting firm, they're looking at a lot of other options. And there there are a lot of attractive options out there that pay well. But I also think that you know there there is such a need in the built environment for mechanical, specifically mechanical and electrical engineers. Yes. I can remember at times and and when I would do a number of recruiting searches and are, you know, electrical engineers or mechanical engineers, they were like finding raw diamonds, rare rare gems. It was like, man, I can't believe I found one. You know, because generally a good mechanic or a good electrical engineer will find a place like you did at Garver. And sit tight, yes, because you know you you tend to be that lone wolf, that lone voice in the wilderness that everybody needs to listen to, and so I think that's really interesting. And people need to understand that, especially those of you that are seeking to go into you know the mechanical, electrical, plumbing profession. That's, I mean, there is there's it's not like there's a ton of them out there, so there's a lot of opportunity and. Every major project that I've ever run across has a component that needs, especially building projects, have a component that needs a mechanical engineer, they need an electrical engineer, they need plumbing, structural structural fire prevention. I mean, so all of that is required in the built environment. And so there's always going to be opportunities for people in that space, especially on the MEP side of things, to, to take advantage and, and learn more about what it means to be a consultant in the design industry.
1: And for your young listeners, it's uh, something that I'd like to add is if you have an interest is try to get an internship or a job shadow so you can learn more and then develop your resumes and your interviews and even your senior projects and s- summer hobbies and stuff. Develop it around what you want to do. I One of the first people I hired as a manager was a gentleman from the University of Arkansas and his resume looked pretty typical of most engineers that you would see, but he took one class and that class was construction management. Hmm. And he stood out from everybody else I looked at because he knew the process that has to go into insurance and bidding and overseeing construction projects and how you negotiate contracts and deal with clients. He maybe didn't have the post- Graduate experience of doing that, but you had the class and knew the knowledge and the lingo, and that was the deciding factor. And he's been a perfect fit for Garver ever since.
0: Yeah, I love stories like that, and I think that is um, that's the story that people need to hear. In, in figuring out ways to bring individuals on that you can develop, because I mean, I mean, Garver doesn't have a ton of electrical engineers.
1: No, we've uh, we've actually got a pretty high percentage in the, the aviation okay field right. that well, I'm I'm in. We've got to think about 14, I think, company wide, okay. but there's four up here in the Northwest Arkansas office. Right. So it's still a, as far as a ratio, you're talking about four electricals to probably a dozen <laughs> civils or right. something. Right. So it's right. still low percentage. It is. It
0: is. It definitely is. So what do you, where do you see this industry going as as it pertains to encouraging younger people to get into this space specifically, not just MEP, but just in general And to become design professionals, because you brought up something that is a point that I make a lot of times when I've done training in the past, especially from a project management standpoint, that they don't even. So you mentioned that they don't talk about what consulting, what consulting engineering looks like, but you also, they also don't teach project management either. Correct. And that's, that to me is, it's amazing because that's the one thing that's needed for these individuals when they get out of school, because they're thrown into what? Projects. On a regular basis, but they don't necessarily, I mean, I think like Rice and maybe one other major mainline engineering program that's well-established really goes deep into the area of project management. But when you think of any design professional, I don't care who you are, engineer or architect for that matter, what are you going to work on for most of your
1: career? Project management. Exactly. Um, I mean, I was with Garver probably, it may have been when I got my PE, but four or five years after I got on and whether I was managing clients or not, I was managing projects. I may have had a different individual that was responsible for making sure the contract was in place where I'm doing that now, but I still had to hit a budget, hit a schedule, hit a deadline, communicate with the client and stakeholders, communicate with the contractor, make sure that the whole project was delivered as expected on time, under budget, meeting client and governing agency which in this case would be FAA or state aeronautics requirements. Right. And a lot of that isn't taught in undergraduate school and I know we had a senior design class that said okay here's how you develop a budget but it was for manufacturing it wasn't how do you develop budgets for your time right. and how do you manage other people and and that's something that's It's kind of a challenge to try to implement in an educational format, but it's something that's necessary and lacking. Yeah,
0: absolutely. I mean, it's almost like you would have to give, you know, maybe upper level, you know, junior and senior level students in, in college, like a real world activity to consider and help them process the use of their time. The importance of communicating with the client early and often, the importance of making sure that they're able to meet whatever promises that they make to the client and understanding how scope creep plays into this. Because again, without real, real proper communication, you're, you're going
1: to ruin a lot of projects. I actually adjunct taught for two years at JBU as a, uh, for four semesters and two of the semesters were digital logic or digital electronics, they called it, and two were control systems. And, I told the students every semester, I said, I'm going to treat this class like it's the real world. I'm not going to treat it as we're just going through a textbook. And every semester, I would have them do a capstone project. And through that capstone project, it would be them designing and implementing something that I was having to do at work at that time, like a lighting control panel for a airport lighting system. Or I'd make up a project like a parking indicator for a parking garage, telling you how many. Spots were available versus not. And I would implement it as they were interviewing for a job, like we have to interview in the MEP field. You put a proposal together, you have to go have an interview, and then a selection committee picks the best firm to then execute the project and get the contract. So I would divide them up into teams and I would assign each team a leader. And I said that the leader would have the responsibility of managing the team. Mm -hmm. And when I was always put in those positions in college, you would have group of five people, three people would do the work, two people wouldn't do anything and everybody would get the same grade. So I right. said, okay, as an instructor, I can't take a student's opinion and dock people points, but I'm going to award bonus points to whoever gets the contract and the leader gets to divide those bonus points up. So for example, if there's five students, I may award a hundred bonus points. That leader can't get more than 20. They are fixed on a 20. But if out of the other four, somebody really pulled all the weight. They could say, well, that other person gets 50 bonus points and divide the remainder up amongst the other three people. And right. I tried to put in a, an illustration there in their head that when you get in the real world, you're going to have to manage people and you're going to make money off of that contract. And hopefully you have enough there for profit. And that profit may be out of your control to divide, but how your team performs depends on or the profit that's divided up depends on how your team performs and you're responsible as the manager to do that. And I've had students come back. I would get the end of year evaluations every year and all my scores were either five out of five stars or zero out of five stars. <laughs> and I'll be honest with you, Andy, more were on the zero side than the five side. It's nothing wrong. But <laughs> uh, I've had multiple students come back to me afterwards and say, Bart, I uh, hated what you were making us do when I was in your class. And now I realize that it was invaluable to me when I graduated.
0: Yeah. Now, and I'm glad you brought that up because that is one of the, I think one of the largest disconnects in our industry, in our industry, the design space with regard to oh, the leadership, the graying leadership expectations of younger people coming in and performing a certain way. And how do you feel? I mean, you're 15 years into this. How do you feel? What do you think is necessary in order to be able to translate that to this younger group? I mean, you did it in your class mm-hmm. that's a, a really controlled environment. But as if I'm a young person coming out of school, I'm just graduating from Clemson. I'm coming into a firm like Garver. How do I, I get, get a handle on that and get up to speed on, on what the expectation is for me as a, a newly minted professional, a newly minted maybe engineering training, or maybe I've already got my PE, but what, you know, what would you say to that?
1: It's, uh, you, you talk about me being at the 15 year mark. I'm kind of in that middle. I've got people that are above me that are getting close to retirement, and then I've got people that are coming in. And really, the, the dynamic between those two different eras of individuals and mindsets is really different. And, and I'll be honest, I tend more toward probably the, the older crowd than the younger crowd. I'm the type of person that when I have, a job to do i'm there till it gets done uh, my dad was in as i mentioned earlier in, independently employed for a lot of my life so when he had work he worked and that's uh, what he had to do to put food on the table and that was the mindset that i was trained around and i'm learning now that a lot of the incoming new hires are of the mindset that it's, I want to do good work when I'm there, but like a better term, I don't want to be there all the time. Right, And that's something that I've had to kind of mold and modify my mindset as I've gotten into more of a management role. Because when I was the guy sitting there doing AutoCAD and doing the modeling and the design, I just knew that I had to uh, be there and get it done. I remember one of Brode Morgan, one of the supervisors I first had at Garver, it was my first birthday uh, after I hired Art Garver. I was working on the Big Damp Bridge in Little Rock. And I was like, I'm going to get this done. I'm going to show these guys I can do this. He walks in at eight o'clock, nine o'clock at night on my birthday. and said, why are you still here? <laughs> and I said, because I got to get this done for a deadline. And he said, wrap it up and go home. Yeah. And and I appreciated that. And, and I've had to kind of modify my thought process as I've mentored and overseen various employees that have reported to me to realize that, I can't expect everybody to maybe have that mindset, and it's not probably correct of me to expect everybody to have that mindset and to try to be more intentional about providing resources and assets for them to succeed within a modified 40-hour work week. I mean, we're we're engineering, we, we understand the field we're in, so 45, 50 hours a week isn't uncommon or unexpected, but we've got to be realistic and we've got to understand that people have families and hobbies and work isn't your life. If if work's your life, then you don't have much of a life to live for the rest of it. <laughs> and that's something that's a challenge Is for me is to try to figure out how to challenge but also mentor people that are a different mindset than I started off with. And, that, and that's something that I've had to grow as, as I've been.
0: Yeah. I mean, obviously everybody didn't have the great example that was set for you by your dad, right? I mean, a lot of people don't grow up with parents that are entrepreneurs. So they don't see that, that grind and the hustle that's mm-hmm. required to be successful. And, you know, you don't eat if you don't bring in work. And so right. there's that direct correlation there. And so everybody doesn't get the benefit of that. But I do think, I mean, a lot of what you have been doing has probably helped you to make that connection with, especially with the younger people. But I'd like for you just to talk a little bit about just what you see as the the role of communication in the design space, because I think it's it's underutilized. There's not actually I don't think that there is enough communication taking place in most firms, not not in all, hmm. but in most firms. I think a, a lot of times there is a disconnect with regard to communication from the C-suite or at the leadership level, and then going down to maybe the next tier of leadership, and then from that tier of leadership down to the next group of leadership, or maybe the mainline group of people in an organization. But that's always been, in my mind, one of the biggest struggles that design firms have had is that communication. I know you spent some time doing a couple of presentations on communication. So I'd love for you just to share with with our audience, since communication is one of the three foundations of what we talk about here at Encourage, Build, Grow with leadership being one and personal development being the other, when you combine the three, Mm -hmm. it makes for a perfect design professional that has a little bit of the leadership skills, the ability to communicate effectively, and the ability to take care of themselves in the
1: process. Right. And um, kind of use an analogy here. Uh, You watch any news program these days and you see figures thrown out there. So Sometimes you can trust them, sometimes you can't. I'll throw one out there that you can't trust. I'm making it up. But I would say that about 90% of the issues, whether it's inside a firm, outside a firm, or even your personal life, probably could be drawn back to some sort of issue with communication. I know anytime that me and my daughter have issues or me and my wife has, have issues that have nothing to do with a design firm, it's probably because something's happened in miscommunication. And that that's something that I pinpointed Early on in my career is that anything that, well, let me back up, not anything, but a lot of the things that would be complicated through a project could have been ironed out early on if communication had been more intentional and more streamlined and just better performed. So in order to improve that for Garver, a few years back with uh, some of the design team that I worked with on a regular basis, I was challenged by one of our leaders to come up with a a presentation on how I thought it would work better to have varying regional offices communicate better with each other. And through that, I kind of came up with the idea of good leaders, let me rephrase that, great leaders have good communication. So in order to have good communication, you need to lead. So through that concept, I developed a acronym for lead and it's launch, expectations, acknowledge and deliver. And through those three letters, you can actually kind of simulate the whole process of communication. And one of the acronyms I always, or sorry, one of the examples I always like to use is you think about a baseball game, you have a Catcher and a pitcher, and the catcher is putting out the pitch signs. So he's had to launch, he's taken an action, he's launching the communication process, he's setting his expectation fastball, curve, slider, whatever it may be. The pitcher, you can see this on TV, nods or shakes off the pitch sign, and they'll go back and forth until they both agree on something. Right. And then the pitcher throws the ball, he delivers. Right. Yes. And that's maybe oversimplifying the process. But I think it's uh, something that can really break down the steps. And if any one of those steps, sometimes they're understood and not necessarily expressed. But if any one of those steps break down, communication falls through and problems or the ability for problems to be introduced happen when communication breaks down.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I love that because. That's launch, expectation, acknowledge, and deliver. Is that correct?
1: That is correct.
0: Okay, lead. I like that. That's a good acronym. So we'll put that in the show notes for sure. I think that that is, um, you know, I I tell people all the time, and just from the expectations part, and again, this gets back to just general communication. You don't have to be a design professional. When you manage people's expectations properly, the outcome is so much better, I think. And then again, if we go into... The design space, design industry space, and we think about how we manage the expectations of our clients, scope creep is really difficult to creep up on you, so to speak, no pun intended, if you're managing your client's expectations properly, if you are communicating with them on a regular basis and not just when something hits the fan. I mean, all of that plays into that process. The same issues you avoid, problems with managing expectations, if You are working, you know, with people on your team. A lot of teams have problems internally within design firms because one person on the team, be it the project leader or somebody else, is just not communicating and not not having either. They're not having their expectations managed properly or somebody's not setting the tone for how communication is going to be throughout the process. And it's we see it all the time. And again, it gets back to foundational. Mat, foundational matters when it comes to communication and we all can improve in that area, myself included. We all have room for improvement when it comes to that. But I think that the best place to start is just to acknowledge, hey, it's an area of weakness and how do how do we
1: improve? There's always times, and I'll catch myself, whether it is verbal communication or through an email, that things could have been improved if I would have sat there and been intentional and thought about what I was doing before I did it. And, and I'm probably one of the world's worst about typing an email and sending it. And <laughs> and that's something I've got to get better at is type the email, hit save, and then go back and read it and yeah. read it again and and figure out how do you want to communicate this. And, and I remember uh, our preacher has a saying that he always uh, likes to talk about is how does this end well? Right. And And, that, and that, that's something that I, I try to keep on my mind is how does this end well? Yeah. And uh, through communication, you may have good communication, but it's in a bad way. Yeah. And the end goal is you want to have good communication in a good way. And I know on The Deliver, I always go back to I read a uh, big basketball fan, a book by Coach Krzyzewski, the, the Duke basketball coach. And he always likes to. Uh, put basketball terms to stuff. And he explained that follow through is very important in basketball. And and the deliver of this is you can look at that as also being a follow through concept with anybody who's ever shot a basketball before knows that if you don't complete the whole stroke, the whole mechanism of a basketball shot and follow through correctly, your shots always going to fall short. So if you don't complete the lines of communication and deliver then the communication is going to fall short every time.
0: Absolutely. And I'm even more impressed that you got a Coach K reference in there. So <laughs> that right there is, is good. And, and I mean, it's great, whether it's John Wooden, whether it's Mike Shashevsky, or any other fill-in-the-blank great coach that you're aware of. Most of those coaches were not great because they yelled at their players. A lot of them were great because they communicated the expectation of what they, whatever result they were trying to achieve whether it's on the gridiron, on the basketball court, whether it's on a project that you're working on for a client. When you communicate that expectation and you communicate early and often throughout the process, not just once, not just say, hey, this is what we want, and then leave everybody to their own devices, that's not a good job of communication. You still have to follow up. And I think that that's really important as well. Too often people are kind of left to their own devices and that's generally when we fail.
1: Well, and it's not just communicating often, but it's also making sure that you know that you have choices through the whole process. That one of the issues I found myself early on finding is that I thought I'm just dealt the cards I'm dealt and I've got to play the hand I've got. Well, you usually have choices through the process and I'll drop the Coach K reference again. He goes back in the book. I think it's called Leading with the Heart. Mm -hmm. And and that's a, a book that I'd recommend everybody read or in my case I like to do the audio books while I travel for work so the audio book would work too but he talks about his days at West Point and when he was a uh, lower classman at West Point he was walking to class one day and got mud splashed up on his uniform and he came across an upperclassman that reprimanded him for not having a clean uniform and he first started thinking about trying to make excuses and said well It wasn't my fault that I got mud up on me. And he goes on in the book to say that he had choices. He had the opportunity to leave earlier for class. So that way he could go back and change his uniform, take a different route to class. So that way the mud, maybe it's a cleaner with a sidewalk or something. He had choices that he could have changed to make the outcome different. And his kind of culmination of the whole topic is no excuses. They have a mantra at Duke basketball, no excuses you own up to your mistakes and you give people credit where credit's due and you don't shift responsibility. And through that communication lines on a project team, that's also very important as well. You don't want to take blame when you're not, you don't want to take blame if you're not guilty of something, but also you want to own up to it when you make a mistake that buys respect from your coworkers, that buys respect from your clients, and it also buys self-respect as well. And you don't want to get into a, habit of making excuses. And and that's something I, I tell the people that I mentor is we're going to have a no excuse environment around here. We're going to own up to our mistakes, whether that's them or myself, and we're going to hold each other responsible.
0: Yeah. No, I love that. That's really good. I, I yeah, I mean, you're, you're, you're speaking my language for sure. I, I, I appreciate that, that take on that because, you know, a lot of times, especially for leaders and I, I'm seeing this Unfortunately, it really hurts my heart a lot of times when leaders won't, when they won't fall on the sword. Sometimes when they have to, you know. And and I think actually, if you're a leader, you pretty much have to be bloody all the time. Yeah, you just have to do it. You know, there's no excuse. But I see too many leaders throwing people under the bus and just saying, "Hey, that's not my problem." And that that flies in the face of what you just described in that experience that Coach K had back at West Point and. I think more people need to take note of that because that's, if you're looking for what a leader is, that's what a real leader is. Mm-hmm. A real leader is the one that takes one for the team that will fall on the sword and will, even if it's not their fault, they'll be like, hey, you know what? It's on me. Happened on my watch. I'm going to own it. You're, you're
1: the manager of the team. It's your responsibility and you can deal behind closed doors with things that need to be dealt with, Absolutely. but externally, it's your, your game. And
0: I got to say this. When people see that you as a leader are not
1: willing to do
0: that, it's hard for them to look up to you. Sometimes it's hard for them to even have respect for you, real respect. They may just give you surface respect, which is not really respect. That's just acknowledging, okay, that's the boss. But that real respect is when people will will go to bat for you. And you know, as I say, people, real leaders are are the kind of people that everybody knows that they have their back. Mm -hmm. And that's important. It sounds like that's probably what your team feels about you and the type of environment that you've you've developed, but that's intentional. You have to do that. You have to set that standard. And anybody listening to this, if you're struggling in this area where you sometimes feel like I can't rally the troops, sometimes you have to look back within yourself and figure out what am I doing that's maybe not eliciting the kind of respect and the kind of camaraderie that I would hope to have in my group. How do I get it back? It's really, I don't think it's that difficult to get back. First of all, we're human beings. We make mistakes. And I think people genuinely, unless you just over and over again, do things that cause a great deal of mistrust, people are forgiving and people will allow you to course correct and make changes. So
1: I'm going to give you more respect if you own up to a mistake and you show that you're able and willing to work hard and correct it than I am if you were to do everything without a major, I mean, you, you gain trust yeah. through that process yeah. and by owning up to it, that trust is built. I, uh, had a, uh, analogy that, uh, one of, uh, our leaders at Garver once told me that you've got to trust a trust bank and it's, you make small deposits at a time, but when you need that bank, those are big withdrawals, whether that's internally or externally to a client that. You build up bit by bit, but then when you need to cash in, it's it's a big, big big withdrawal. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well,
0: I love that. I think we will, we'll, we'll kind of put a pin in on that because I think that really captures the essence of this. So we got a little, you even brought me into the leadership realm. We thought, I thought it was just going to be more about communication, (laughs) but you, you brought me into the leadership space. So Bart, I really appreciate you sharing that. What one word of wisdom or advice would you have for that young engineer or architect that's about to graduate from school? They've just finished up their senior year. They're out beating the pavement, looking for that perfect job. What
1: one piece of advice would you have for them? Be intentional. I know a lot of the things that I see with reviewing resumes is it's just a generic blanket resume. So be intentional. Know know about the firm you're going after. Know why you want to be there. Know what skill sets you bring to them sell yourself. And once you land that job, then you'll be a bigger asset to them because then you can turn around and sell sell the firm that you just joined. Exactly.
0: Yeah. And people want to see that too. I think nowadays with technology being what it is, you have videos, there's so many creative ways to give people a glimpse into what you're all about. And I just encourage everyone listening to this, especially if you're early on in your career, whether you're looking to make a move to a different firm, or you're just getting out of school and you're looking to land at that right firm, I think you really need to make sure that you're packaging yourself up properly. And don't misrepresent yourself. That's not what we're suggesting. But we are suggesting that you be creative in how you present yourself because you will be called to do that, as Bart said, when it comes time to get you in front of a client. And you will get in front of a client at some point in time. It's inevitable in this industry Yes, that you're going to have that face time with the client and you have to be prepared. You have to be able to communicate. You have to know who you are. And and more importantly, you have to, to walk as a leader, even if you aren't quite, even if you haven't been conferred with that status yet, you have to act as if. And that type of, I mean, I don't think that there is a corporate leader in any design firm that won't take someone that's acting as a leader if they are genuinely see themselves as that type of individual and are working their way towards that objective.
1: You're at least a leader of one. And right. when, you can, when you can prove that you can lead one well, then you'll be given the responsibility to lead many. Yeah, absolutely. Bart, if anybody wants to reach out to you,
0: what's the best way for them to connect with you?
1: Uh, by email. Uh, work for Garver email address is W-B-G-I-L-B-R-E-A-T-H at GarverUSA.com. Yeah. And
0: I'll put that in the show notes so everybody has it and that okay. way they can connect with you. And and I think what we'll probably even try to do is get your LinkedIn profile on there as well. So that'll work. So people can reach out if you have any questions. Just want to thank Bart for being on this episode. But I want to thank you for coming on. Thank you for joining me in my makeshift office here. <laughs> and uh, don't laugh because I, I, I meet a lot of people here. We're actually sitting in the library here in Fayetteville, which is one of the best libraries in the country. And, uh, they have these private rooms and I utilize these rooms quite a bit. Matter of fact, they know me by name. Everybody that works there knows me by name now. So I must spend a fair amount of time up here and and that's
1: a good thing. It's a great venue and uh, I've enjoyed this process. It's uh, been a good conversation today. I
0: appreciate the invite.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, folks, there you have it.
0: Bart Gilbreth, who is a senior PM electrical engineer, double E as we like to say at Garver, doing some great things here in Fayetteville and beyond. And, uh, we really appreciate him coming on and, and sharing his wisdom with us after 15 years in the design industry. I hope this was helpful for you. I hope you got a little something out of it here at Encourage Bill Grow. Again, we really want to focus on helping you to become a better leader, ultimately a better communicator and, and finally a better person. And we think it's a, it's a package deal. You can't be a, a good leader and then, you know, communicate like crap to people and you can't communicate like you can't be a great communicator and not lead people in a definitive way. And so. And then with all that said, you have to take care of yourself. You have to develop yourself personally and professionally on a regular basis. Without it, it's just hard to really achieve the objectives that that you've laid out for yourself. And even if you haven't laid out any objectives, now's the time to start making plans for where you want to be three years from now, five years from now, 10 years from now. Everybody should have a plan. And we're going to be talking more about that in the coming episodes of Encourage Bill Grow. And I hope that uh, you tune in and share this with uh, anyone that you think this might be a benefit for. They don't even have to work in the design industry, but this really is catering towards those design professionals. I've been working in this space since 97, and these, you guys are really important. You guys are responsible for the built environment and you guys do amazing things around the world. And so I, I wanted to find a platform, in, which is this podcast, to really encourage you and that's what we're trying to do no pun intended so i hope you have a wonderful day and i will see you with a fresh new episode of encourage build grow next week you can you can always find us at encouragebuildgrow.com and anywhere that great podcast can be found you can find our show so check it out share it with a friend give us a review and we'll see you soon that's it bye for now